Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Amen. All right, would you turn to Daniel chapter number one this evening? And it sounds like we're going backwards. Well, we are to a point, but it's just to be able to summarize this evening what we have learned from the book of Daniel. I have enjoyed thoroughly my own personal study in the book of Daniel. It started not long after my surgery, about a year and a half ago. And as I went through that book day by day for several weeks and really put more time and attention into it than I feel like I have uh, since I've been a believer, I knew that it was a book that I really wanted us to be able to study together as a church, especially with my desire being that we get into the book of Revelation, which is my goal. We won't start next week necessarily on the book of Revelation. I think there's some things I would like us to look at in between, not necessarily in a series, but just some messages that I think would be helpful in teaching uh, to us. But at the same time, uh, the end goal is that we get in the book of Revelation. I think as we saw, it's important for us before we ever get to the book of Revelation to take time in the book of Daniel because many of the keys that unlock the book of Revelation are found to us in the book of Daniel. In fact, isn't the book itself found from Revelation in the book of Daniel? We saw that in Daniel chapter 12 last week, didn't we? That that book that was sealed, that uh, Daniel was told, seal up until the appointed time, we saw unsealed by none other than the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world in Revelation chapter number five. To see these two books be able to come together and in some ways, remember, Revelation chapter number one is really just Daniel chapter number 13. And so I'm looking forward to jumping into the book of Revelation here in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, I think we've learned some lessons in the book of Daniel. I like to hope and pray that we've learned some lessons in the book of Daniel over the last few weeks. We started right at the beginning of January, and this is now the 26th message, not counting the parts where we do part one and part two, but 26 different messages that we've had from these 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. And I thought it would be good for us tonight to be able to take a little bit of a retrospective, to be able to look back a little bit and remind ourselves, like Peter said, to remind ourselves of the things that we've already been taught because, uh, you know, time goes on and things go on. And uh, there's some lessons that have been learned, some things that I've been reminded of and some things that have strengthened my belief in certain things. And so I thought it would be good for us to look at these things tonight. Now, if you had a prayer bulletin, you were about to write number one uh, in the prayer bulletin. Oh, before we do that, we want to start reading uh, Daniel chapter one. Uh, I think we need to just do a little bit of review here. So uh, before we get right into the message, Daniel chapter one, beginning in verse number one, it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children of whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had an ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And remember verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I think this is a great place for us to read and to reread tonight, because without Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8, there is no book of Daniel. Without Daniel taking a stand at a young age and deciding uh, that he was going to stand for the Lord in a very unique way, uh, there is no book of Daniel. I don't believe God uses Daniel in the method that he uses him without Daniel deciding at this decision point very early in his life, I'm going to stand for the Lord no matter the cost. I'm going to stand for the Lord no matter what it does to me physically. I'm going to stand to the Lord uh, no matter what pressure they put onto me emotionally. Uh, I'm going to stand for the Lord at all costs. And so because of that, we still talk about Daniel today. And in fact, the name of Daniel left the lips of Jesus Christ uh, as he was talking to his disciples. And Jesus addressed Daniel as a prophet of God. And so imagine being name checked by Jesus Christ. Well, that's Daniel. And the reason why is because Daniel 1.8 started a pattern of a lifetime of service, uh, not for the king of Babylon, but for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so with that being said, we're going to jump right into some lessons that I've learned and I hope that you have learned or been reminded of here in the book of Daniel. And so this evening, number one, if you want to write this down on something else other than a prayer bulletin, that would be this. Uh, I learned this and was reminded of this. Your past doesn't dictate your future. Your past does not dictate your future. Aren't you glad tonight that your past and the things that you did in the past, the things that you partook in in the past, or the things that were perpetuated against you in the past does not dictate your future. Some of the things in our past were willful decisions that we made that we shouldn't have made. Some of the things in our past are things that we didn't decide but that people did to us that we wish that we could have stopped but maybe could not have stopped. But let's put it this way. Each of us have a past tonight. Each of us have a story. There's a story that we tell people, and there's the story behind the story that only you and the Lord know. But I know this tonight, and I'm thankful for this tonight, that your past does not dictate your future. When we consider Daniel, the deck was stacked against him from the start. For him to have a Daniel 1-8 attitude, listen, his life did not lead up to this. Could I put it this way? He wasn't a preacher's kid. He didn't grow up in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He didn't grow up in the midst of a nation that loved the Lord. No, no, consider this tonight. He grew up in a Jewish society that was in economic, political, and most notably, spiritual decline. He grew up in a nation. Remember, Jehoiakim was not a good king. And, whether, and however metric you use to measure him, he was not a good king. He was forcibly removed from his family and his homeland. All right, that's tragic enough. He was, had this happen to him at a young age. Uh, we see from the Bible, where the Bible does not say necessarily this about Daniel, but I don't know how you could come to any other conclusion, but Daniel would have been a eunuch. Now, I've read commentators who say, well, the Bible never specifically says that Daniel was a eunuch. Well, 
No, it doesn't, but he was under the care of the prince of the eunuchs. So it doesn't take too far of a leap to come to the understanding uh, that Daniel was not only forcibly removed from his home and brought hundreds of miles to a strange land with a strange language, but there was castrated so that he could have one purpose and one purpose alone, that he could serve the seed royal and that he would be uh, someone who would not uh, take advantage of the royal family or take advantage of the women who were there of the harem of the royal family. And so he was someone in the mind of that time and in the mind of these wicked people could be trusted because he had this brutality brought against him. Not only that, he was placed in a pagan culture with a new language and the Jews who were around him obviously had very little care for the things of God because in the end, you see, of the people who really want to stand up for God, out of all of those young men that were brought from Judea uh, was Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. So he had a past. Now, none of this was his fault. None of this was his fault. This was all perpetuated against him. And who could blame Daniel if he got there and just said, you know what, forget it. If this is the way God's going to treat me, then why do I have to serve him? Why don't I just throw in my lot with the Babylonians and try to move up the corporate ladder, if you will, and just try to have the best life I can possibly have here? Or maybe turn bitter and turn into a rabble rouser, someone who would end up losing his life at a young age because uh, of him trying to uh, stick it to the man that was there uh, in Babylon. We could see a lot of different scenarios where things could go wrong. There's not a lot of scenarios where you could take that kind of backstory and say, you know what, here's one of the greatest men who ever lived. And think about it. How many times do we look at an action that Daniel took in his book and say, that's a sinful action? I'm not saying he was sinless, but he has one of the most sterling testimonies that you can find of all the Bible. Really, I would hold Daniel and Joseph uh, as two of the men that had some of the most sterling testimonies that you could find in all the Bible, where if you were to point like to David and immediately you say Bathsheba. David was a wonderful man. He was a man after God's own heart, but you're able to say that. Uh, we could point out a lot of people in the Bible. Abraham, the, the father of the people of Israel, and we'd say, well, yeah, Egypt. Uh, your sister, we could name a lot of those things, but Daniel uh, is a man, despite his past, was a man who was able to live for the Lord. Daniel immediately decided that he'd serve God no matter how grim his outlook seemed. And this is a good reminder for us. Uh, your youth or your young adult years apart from God doesn't dictate that you can't serve God in the future. Some of you came to the Lord later on in life. Some of you are not like me. Now, I came later on in my teenage years uh, to come to know the Lord, but some of you uh, came to know the Lord later on. Or maybe you came to know the Lord, but you kind of didn't really get some roots spiritually. Uh, you really didn't get a firm foundation in discipleship uh, until later on. You came to know the Lord, but you didn't really come to know him intimately uh, through discipleship until later. And maybe you regret that past, and maybe you regret those things uh, uh, that, that took place in the past. May I remind you that that's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's forgiven, and just because your past uh, may be dark, or just because your past may be tragic, it doesn't mean that you can't serve God in the future. Now, are there times you might have to deal with the repercussions of past decisions? Yeah. Are there times that you might have some wild oats that you have to harvest from sowing seeds of rebellion years ago? Possibly. But can God help you and overcome all those things? He can. Can I remind you that two of the more uh, amazing characters of the word of God, Enoch 
who never died. He was translated. He was literally just called up into heaven. Uh, and Moses, uh, a man who was uh, one of the most amazing in all of the word of God. Both those men really didn't catch fire, if you will, until the second third uh, of the, or the, actually the last third rather of their lives. Do, do the work. You'll find out that that's the case. Uh, they may have had a past that wasn't all that it could have been or should have been. Uh, but when they got things right with the Lord, they moved ahead. And so wherever you are tonight, listen, leaving those things which are behind and reaching out to those things which are before, this is what we're called to do. Uh, maybe tonight it's uh, giving into your flesh and falling. You need to be reminded of this. Giving into your flesh and falling doesn't mean that you can't serve God in the future. Maybe you've served the Lord, but then you kind of got into some sin that you knew you shouldn't have. You got into some activities you knew you shouldn't have. Maybe you stepped away from the Lord. Maybe you stepped out of church for a while. May I remind you what Proverbs 24, 16 says? For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I am so glad that our past does not dictate our future. Tonight, no matter what your backstory is, no matter what mistakes you made, no matter what sinfulness you partook in, uh, whatever sinfulness was perpetuated against you that was out of your control, that God can use you and God can take uh, uh, those broken pieces and he can build something beautiful and he can build something... Uh, incredible in fact can i put it this way only god can do that only god is able to do that take the broken pieces of your life uh, uh, give it back to god uh, allow him to put you back on the potter's wheel and to remake you and to reform you and to reshape you into what he's called you to be i'm so glad your past doesn't dictate your future but number two i also see this tonight i learned from the book of daniel god can use anybody god can use anybody listen i didn't grow up in a preacher's home my dad sold potato chips for a living. Uh, my mom worked from home. Uh, she did all kinds of different jobs at home to be able to help make ends meet uh, at our house. And, and she did jobs usually she didn't like doing, but she did it just to be able to, to make ends meet. Uh, I grew up in a Lutheran home, but I didn't grow up understanding the gospel like I should. That's why it took me years to be able to get saved. And it wasn't until I was in a Baptist church that I really understood the gospel for the first time. And, and so I didn't grow up necessarily with a spiritual silver spoon in my mouth. I didn't grow up with a spiritual heritage. In fact, I often found out that most of the kids that were the preacher's kids, uh, they didn't know what was going on. In fact, one of the saddest things, uh, Miss Doris, one of the saddest things I ever found out is when Diane and I got married, I realized, guess what? We're going to have preacher's kids someday. And I thought, oh, this is awful. Uh, but thank the Lord, we've tried to ground them uh, and try to remind them, uh, your preacher's kids, that comes with wonderful uh, um, uh, benefits. Don't let it go to your head. And so uh, I, I pray and praise the Lord that they are who they are by the grace of God. Uh, but I didn't grow up with that spiritual silver spoon in your mouth. And I look around this group, most of you didn't either. But I'm thankful for this. God can use anybody. Do you know why? Because he's the one that created you. If God can't use you, and he's the one who created you, uh, that means that God has made a mistake somewhere in the process. And I know this about my Lord. He doesn't make mistakes. Right. In this book, I see this. God used a young slave, and he used an old king. I see this. Uh, there were those who had almost nothing that God used, and then one who had all the riches that the world had to offer. And God used them both. God used a man who stood alone in Daniel chapter 6. God used three men who stood together in Daniel chapter 3. God used Jews. He used Chaldeans. He used Medes. He used Persians. And he even prophesied of using Greeks and Romans in the future who weren't even really on the world scene at that time. God used them all. 
the Jews, the Gentiles, the young, the old, the rich, the poor, people who were together, people who were all by themselves. Uh, God used them all. And it's a reminder to us tonight that when you look in the word of God, God can use anybody. James 4, 6 says this, but he, meaning the Lord, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. I have to be reminded of that often. God resisteth the proud. Do you want God to resist you? You want God to keep you at arm's length? You know the recipe for that? Be proud. Be proud. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. You know who God typically uses? Those who are humble and whose hearts are open. Who, who did he use? Daniel, a man whose heart was open. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men whose hearts were open. Nebuchadnezzar, well, his heart was closed. So what did God have to do? Bring a little correction into his life. And his heart was open, and God was able to use him. That's what I see in the book of Daniel, is that no matter what way of life you come from, God will use you if you are humble before him. I'll be honest with you, whatever job description you are looking for, whatever job description you are, or whatever God's calling is put on your life, listen, the, the first thing you have to do is to be humble before him. What we often say, to have your heart open before him. Lord, we could say like Isaiah, Lord, here am I, send me. That's what he's looking for. But I also see this, the book of Daniel is very illustrative at this. God doesn't just use the humble. God uses the stiff-necked. Oh, he does. Can I give you some illustrations? Those who resist him, God and his providence can still use them? Belteshazzar, or Belshazzar rather. Belteshazzar was his name, uh, Daniel's name. Belshazzar. He drank to the goblets of gold and silver and uh, the things that were taken out of the temple. And what happened? God used him as an example. Mene, mene, tenko you farson. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Tonight your kingdom will be taken from you. God used him, but not in a good way. Antiochus Epiphanes. We don't actually see him by name in the book, but did God use him even hundreds of years later? Uh, as a way to further his kingdom and to further his plan? He absolutely did. Uh, what about the four world kingdoms? The Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and Romans. Would God use all of those in their own way to be able to accomplish his purpose? Yes, he would. Here's what I understand. God can use anyone, whether they have a heart open or not. But listen, you want to be the one that's used with the heart open. Because God uses some people because of their humility and God uses others in spite of their humility. In fact, you see that in Deuteronomy. God basically tells the Israelites this. He says, you are going to be an example to the world either by serving me or through my judgment to you because you don't serve me. No, he, he says, listen, how, and he had to judge them because if they were God's people and they could live however they want, if he didn't judge them, then the world would say, well, their God's not even alive. So he would have to be able to 
I, I don't even want to use the term make them an example because God wouldn't do that in the way that we would in our flesh. Uh, God would only do so to make them an example of his glory and of his power. He wouldn't do so like when we make an example of someone it's because we've been offended in our little bit of feelings because someone uh, made us feel bad. And so we have to uh, make an example out of them. When God makes an example out of someone, it's only to show that he is on the throne. He is in control. And I'll tell you this, God can use anyone, but you want to be the humble one that God uses. Deuteronomy 28, 36 and 37. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee. This is it. Let me preface this. If Israel does not serve the Lord, he says this, the Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. And there thou shalt serve other gods, wood and stone. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. 600 years before it happened, God called a shot. 600 years or so before it happened, God says, listen, I'm going to use you one way or the other. I want to use you as that city set on a hill. I want to sit you. I want to use you as those uh, uh, who are worshiping me and the beauty of holiness in the temple. But if not, I will be forced to be able to make an example out of you just to show the world that I'm still in control and to still bring other people to me in grace and mercy. But this is the way that I'll have to do it. God can use anyone, but we allow him to use you because of humility. We allow him to use you like a Daniel or a Shadrach, or a Meshach, or a Bendigo, or even a Nebuchadnezzar, who had to be humbled, but he got it. But he got it. God can use anybody. Number two, I also reminded of this in Daniel. Number three, God's people can flourish in ungodly situations. God's people can flourish in ungodly situations. Daniel succeeded in two different world empires. He was of such value that he wasn't executed by a conquering empire he was actually promoted. Unheard of. He was made on the night of the demise of the Babylonian Empire. He was made, remember, the third in the kingdom. That immediately should have put a target on his back when the Medes and the Persians came to town. What happened? They eventually elevated him to the number two position. He was made a president of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and he was the head of all the presidents. That's an amazing thing. However, his greatest success was not that he was upwardly mobile. It's not that he was politically active. His greatest success was that he was able to do all of this while still retaining his integrity as a Christian. While still retaining his integrity as a believer. That even in an ungodly situation and even an ungodly nation, he was able to be a man of God in the midst of all those things going on. I think sometimes we feel like in this nation that we live in right now, in this world situation that we live in right now, what's the use? What, what, can, what difference can we even make? Is it even worth it to try to be able to live for the Lord in such a wicked society uh, that we live in today where if someone from 40 years ago uh, could take a time machine and come to this uh, uh, room tonight and to be able to just take in for a day our culture, to take in today our society, that someone even from 1982 would come here tonight and say, I have no idea uh, what's going on in this culture. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. The things that, that we snickered about that would never even be an issue are, are not only an issue today, but they're happening uh, in, in a way that, that defies logic. And we look at all these things and we say, well, what can we do? Do you realize the people of God can flourish in this situation? We don't just have to run and hide. 
We don't just have to go in a corner and just pray that the trumpet sounds. No, before that happens, there's work to do and we can flourish in this situation. And we don't have to do so by selling ourselves and being like the world. And isn't that what we're told today? That, well, you know, you can be a Christian in the world, but you got to look like the world. No, we need to look less like the world and more like Christ to be able to show people the difference. That's why Jesus said uh, in the, oh, was that the Sermon on the Mount, I think? Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. You're the, you'll, you'll get to this in about six months, all right, guys? Uh, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Just recently went out to Cape Cod for the first time in nine years. I've been twice to Cape Cod, went over the bridge to say, I went over the bridge and realized there's nothing over here and came right back. Uh, and so, uh, but we went just a few weeks ago and realized there's got to be stuff out here because people will cut off their right arm uh, to come out here. They'll sit in traffic for six hours uh, to go out here uh, to, to, to do this. So we went out uh, a few weeks ago and we looked at some of the lighthouses because, you know, that's like what people do. And, you know, for me, I go out there and it's like, that's a lighthouse. All right, that's great. And uh, the most exciting one was the one that looked like the Cape Cod potato chip bag. And I said, now that's something I can get behind right there. Uh, that looked good. But, uh, you know, you go out there and you realize to us, they're just tourist places to go. But to them, it was life. I mean, it was life. If the lighthouse went down, uh, knowing that the seas are very treacherous around Cape Cod, uh, there could be a lot of difficulty if the lighthouse went out. And I didn't know this until recently, uh, but a lot of those lighthouses that were out there over the last 100 years have been moved back 50 feet, 100 feet, uh, sometimes even farther. The reason why? Erosion. Because the sea reclaims some of the land over time. Storms batter against the, 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 the sand. And so what happens? They've got to move the lighthouses back. Well, why don't they just let it fall into the sea? Well, because if they do, then who will shine the light? If they did, then how will the ships get into a safe harbor? No, the lights had to keep shining. And so for us in a dark place, we need to be the lights that keep shining. And don't you think God wants us to be the lights that keep shining? And if that's the case, then he's going to allow us to flourish in this time. And we feel like, well, I got to be more like the world so they think, uh, that I'm a normal person, and then I can hit him with a little bit of Jesus. No, uh, you, you just, I'm not saying to act strange for the sake of acting strange. Listen, you just act like Jesus, and you'll look strange enough in this world. You be patient when everyone's angry, you'll look strange enough in this world. Uh, I, 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 oh, I, can I confess something? Is this on? All right. Kaylee had her wisdom teeth out yesterday. Well, ended up one of them coming out. I prayed to the rest of the Lord. It, it wasn't at BMC. It was a couple blocks down from BMC. And so I didn't want to drag her after having nitrous oxide, drag her down uh, the sidewalk, you know, a couple blocks to the parking garage. Although that wouldn't be the strangest thing you'd see in Boston. But anyway, I digress. Uh, and so I, I decided to... Thank you for laughing, Alyssa. Uh, but uh, uh, I... Uh, you know, I, I, I pray, I prayed, I asked the Lord if I could get a good parking spot here. And I did right in front of the building, street parking, parallel park. Yeah, this Floridian, I did it. A little bit of pride, a little bit of pride. But I was, I was happy that I, I got it in. Well, Kaylee did not do as well with that anesthesia as we'd hoped. It took a little bit longer. Two hours I had paid for, two hours. 
and I realized I was about to run out of time. Now, there's an app on your phone that you can pay for the parking meter. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to pay for it on my phone, and it'll be fine. I did it, but I did something wrong. They took my money, but apparently it didn't connect with my license plate. And so I'm taking Kaylee out. She has gauze coming out of her mouth. Uh, she's babbling something. I don't know what she's talking about. I don't know what zip code she's in as I'm dragging her across the crosswalk. And again, people are looking at us and, you know, in Boston, well, that's Tuesday. But anyway, you know, it's, it, it, I'm dragging her across and I look and there's the meter maid next to my van writing me a ticket. Can I tell you what I wanted to say? A lot of thoughts went through my mind at that one moment. But I said, you know what? As I'm, I'm trying to take care of this. And Kelly's like, oh, God, what are we doing? And I get in the van. And I'm trying to talk to this, this lady. And uh, thank the Lord she saw that Kaylee was, you know, looking like something pretty rough had happened. And I started to talk to her. And I tried to, instead of coming at it with a lot of, with a little bit of humility. I mean, what else did I have to go for at that moment? I showed her my phone. I showed her what happened. She apologized. In fact, several times. She didn't take away the ticket. But she apologized. She'd already written the ticket. But I guess what she was able to do, she was able to go in and edit the notes on it and explain what happened. Showed it to me, printed it to me. Says, ah, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. She goes, she goes and, she, and she said this to me. She said, you've been a gentleman about this. Said it to me. And I thought, didn't want to be a gentleman when I saw you uh, a few moments ago. But you know what? It wasn't about me being a gentleman. It's not about, oh, hey, let me take off my coat and put it on the, so you can cross the street. That's a gentleman, you know. Uh, no, it's about being a believer. You know what? That shows more of a difference than about 90% of the stuff that we do. But we can do that. We can do that in ungodly situations. In fact, that can accomplish more than a track. You may have planted, someone else may water, and God gives the increase. Or someone may be more likely to take a track after you act like that than after you act like a buffoon and then realize, ooh, I couldn't give him a track. Or if I did, I'd have to give it to him from one to another church. Like sometimes I want to have Jehovah Witness tracks so that if I, it watchtower stuff, so if I'm mean to somebody and rude, it's like, hey, you ever heard of the kingdom? Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> no, we can't do that. That's not right. No, no, you didn't hear that from me. We're editing all of this out. So uh, this last five minutes is gone. But uh, here's what I know. We can flourish. I'm tired of hearing that as wicked as this world gets that we can't make a difference. You know, you know where you get that from? You get that from the news. You know where you get that from? You get that from the culture. You know where you get that from? You get that from the conservative commentators. Conservative commentators who are out there preaching doom and gloom. And listen, from their point of view, I understand because there's a lot of culturally awful things going on right now. But there's one thing we know that those commentators don't know, that Jesus is in control. And so because of that, we recognize, we, no, no, we recognize how bad the world is, but then we realize we have Jesus. So it's okay. And then we don't go to sleep on it. 
We don't put our hands over our ears or over our eyes and pretend like it's not out there, but it encourages us to go out, be a Daniel, and Daniel retained his integrity and made a difference in a wicked kingdom when thousands of other boys were, were transported over there and they were never heard from again. But this one and three other of his companions were able to make a difference in a wicked society. Don't, don't, don't let people tell you that, that you can't make a difference. I have statistics about this. I'll read it another time. But these statistics I have from LifeWay, and LifeWay is a uh, Southern Baptist group. These statistics show that there are people that are, are willing to hear the gospel, just no one's telling it to them. Now, not a lot of people, but I'll tell you a lot more than you think and a lot more than I think. It's just we don't talk to them. And so God's people can flourish in ungodly situations quickly. Number four, I'm reminded God's in control. Isn't that one of the main themes of Daniel? God's in control. The comfort of reading chapters 7 through 12 specifically is that in times when it seemed like the world was spiraling out of control, God was always in control. You do yourself a disservice if you read Daniel's chapter 1 through 6 and then move on to the next book. Daniel 7 through 12 is really the meat of the book. Listen, the, the, the milk, if you will, of Daniel is Daniel 1 through 6. And it's not that it's bad stuff. Listen, we need the milk. But if you want the strong meat of Daniel, it's Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And you can't get through those chapters without realizing God's in control. That, that when it looks like things are at their worst, that God is still on his throne. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear thou not. For I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I love that. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee. That's what he does for us. He's in control. He'll strengthen you. He'll help you. That word help there in, in the Hebrew means to, to succor, or in the Greek rather, no, it's in Hebrew from Isaiah, I'm sorry, to, to succor as a mother with a child. He'll help us. He'll, he'll nurture us. He'll uphold us. And that means to, to continue to maintain. And he can do that because it says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You know, that right hand is important because in the word of God, it's a symbol of strength. Typically for 95% of humanity the right hand is the strong hand isn't it did you know like 43 percent of american presidents are left-handed isn't that amazing hey, pastor what does that mean i don't know you can figure that out later but i just heard that a few days ago uh, I, I know this uh 95 or so of us are right-handed why that the power so why can god help us and strengthen us and uphold us because he has power and why can god strengthen us and help us and uphold us because he's righteous we can trust him he's in control He's in control and we can trust him because he has all power, but he's also all righteousness. And it's not just that he has those things. He embodies those characteristics. He is the very living embodiment of those characteristics. You know, when I'm in an airplane, I typically feel pretty good. You know why? Traveling in a plane is statistically safer than being on the road. Statistically, it is safer to be in a plane than on the road. Now, I have to remind myself of that when I go through turbulence because it's not something that I enjoy. Uh, but in general, it is much safer to be on a plane than it is even on the road. But you know one of the reasons that I trust being on a plane is because of the engines? They're strong. 
You know how strong they are? They're able to slip the bonds of gravity itself. And you know why else I trust them? Because the pilots, the pilot, the co-pilot, they have a lot of training. Uh, I mean, a lot of training to be able to get in the cockpit of a, a civilian uh, uh, plane of that nature. You have to have a lot of training. Uh, so because I can trust in the power and their righteousness, they are right in their training. Uh, and I know that, listen, I know they want to get to their destination as much as I do. I mean, that's usually the way it works, doesn't it? So I sit in that plane and I feel good. Now, what if all the engines go out? I don't feel so good anymore. What if a terrorist in the cockpit? I don't feel so good anymore. Why? Because now there's no strength in the plane. The engines are out. There's no righteousness in the plane. Someone with ill intentions is in the cockpit. Do you know why? I learned from the book of Daniel that I don't have to fear even when it looks like everything's going haywire in this world. I know who's in the cockpit. He's righteous. He's in control. I know who controls the engines. It's God. He has all power. So if he has all power, and that power is governed by all righteousness, what do I have to worry about? He's in control. Now, it may look like temporarily things are out of control, but even then, he's still in control. Do you think Job would have thought things were out of control in the midst of the storm? When his kids were dying? When all of his earthly goods were destroyed? When his house was destroyed? When his health was gone? But in every moment of the book of Job, there was never one second where God was out of control. In fact, so much so that Satan had to come to even ask God to do any of those things in the first place. Now, I won't say that I can, in just a few moments, uh, open the windows of heaven and try to explain to you all of God's sovereignty and power here tonight, but, but here's what I need to know, and I can explain this to you on the level of a child, and it's this, is that God's in control. And we can bring out Bible verses, and I'm sure there will be times that we, we can do so. I, I don't really have the time to be able to build on this much more tonight, but doesn't the whole book of Daniel teach God's in control? I mean, isn't that what we're summarizing tonight? The book of Daniel? Find one of the 12 chapters where God's out of control. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's in control. Oh, yeah? You mean when God said, your kingdom's taken from you, and all of a sudden, he's scratching himself like an animal? And he's eating grass for seven years? The most powerful man in the world, God spoke a word. And for seven years, he was out of his mind. No, God's in control. Don't, don't, don't worry about all this stuff out there. Be aware of what's going on. Know what's going on. Allow that to be a reason to go reach more people. But don't be afraid because God's in control. Number five and finally, and perhaps is the most important of all, God's word can always be trusted. When the critics try to destroy the book of Daniel as revisionist history, don't forget they are targeting none other than Christ who called Daniel a prophet and who referred to his prophecies as true. Remember, the book of Daniel is so specific that there were those who say it was written hundreds of years after the fact because that's the only way, quote-unquote, God could have got it right is if God had written it, or, or rather, if man had written it hundreds of years after the fact. Like I could have reported over an event that happened a couple hundred years ago. The problem with that thinking is this. When Jesus, with his authority as the perfect, sinless Savior of the world, 
refers to Daniel and refers to him as a prophet and refers to his prophecies as being true, uh, at that very moment, Jesus stakes his reputation on the book of Daniel. And if you question the book of Daniel, then you question the one who is the one who uh, said Daniel is true. And so there are those who say, well, you can question Daniel and it really doesn't matter uh, when it was written or, or how it was written or, or under what circumstances it was. Well, sure, it wouldn't matter if it doesn't matter to you if the Savior is real or not. But if Jesus is who he is, then Daniel must be who he is. And if Jesus is who he is and Daniel is who he is, we're reminded that God's word can always be trusted. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Matthew 24, 35, and it's also repeated in Mark and Luke as well. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 1 Peter 1, 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word of the Lord Lord endureth forever and this is the word Peter says which by the gospel is preached unto you meaning Peter says when I preach to you the word of God he says I'm preaching to you that word of God that endures that lasts is perfect forever well it was true a, a thousand years ago but the copies now are such forever well, scholastically speaking, you can't imagine that, you know, the copies of the copies of the copies, you can't imagine that we still have the word of God. All I know is what the word of God says. All I know is what the word of God says, and either it's true or it's not. Well, it doesn't make sense. Well, as Pastor Turner's fond of say, I don't know how a brown cow can eat green grass and make white milk, but I know that it does. And I don't know how God is able to, to preserve his word as he has, but I know he promised he has, and either he's right about it or he's not. And I just prefer to take the word of God for what it is, and I know this, God's word can always be trusted. When you're in difficulty, God's word can be trusted. When you don't know where to turn, God's word can be trusted. And if it's true for prophecy, then you can trust the Lord for anything. If, it's, if his prophecy is true, then you can trust him when it comes to your kitchen table, your checkbook, your family, or any other issue for day-to-day -day living. You can trust the Lord and trust in his word. That's the bottom line. And by the way, if five's not true, you might as well take one through four and just throw them out too. Because if five's not true, then what's the point of the other four? Because they could be fabrications. They could be mistakes, errors. No, God's word can always be trusted. In the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god by the way what was satan's first attack the word of god yea hath god said and he's still doing it today i'll leave you with this this series is called was called signs of the times we must recognize that our time to learn these lessons and our time to implement these lessons are short because if the signs of the times are anything, we don't have much longer here on this earth. If the signs of the times are anything, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the trump sounding and the rapture of the saints and the starting of that seven-year period where all of hell's fury will be brought to this earth in a way that's never been seen before. Our time is short. Consider this. There's an old story that had been around for some time about a man who gained some insight into the world of the devil and his evil ploys. On the throne was the devil himself, and he was addressing his horrible hordes. With a loud voice, he cried out, Who will go to the earth and persuade men to accomplish the ruin of their souls? One of the sniveling spirits spoke up, I will, sir. 
And how will you persuade them, Satan said. The spirit answered, I will persuade them that there is no heaven. But the devil looked at him and said, no, that won't work. You'll never be able to force such a belief on mankind at large. And with that, the devil loudly repeated his question. Who will go to the earth and persuade men to ruin their souls? A second demon stepped forward. I will, sir. And how will you persuade them, Satan said. I will persuade them that there is no hell, sir. But the devil looked at this one too and said, no, that won't work either. You will never be able to persuade them of that because the voice of their conscience, their conscience will rail against you. We must have something else, something which will work and appeal to all classes, all ages, and all personalities. Then a dark spirit glided forward and simply said, I will go, sir. And what will you tell them, Satan said. The dark spirit said, I will tell them that they have time, sir. I will say that there is no hurry and no reason to worry. He was the spirit that was chosen to go. And he is still quite at large in our world today. Is that biblical in the way that it was executed? No. But is that the message of Satan to us today? Yes. The signs of the times are real. We don't have long. Let's do what we can to win as many as we can while we can. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.